0: Hey guys, Rick Roberts here. I've got a great podcast interview today with Tim Grable from the Grable Group here in Nashville. Tim is a guy I met when I first moved here and he's uh, booked a few gigs for me here and there. He represents 12 comics exclusively and does a great job of keeping them busy and keeping them working. He's going to give us some insight as to how you as a performer can make it easy for agents like him to book you and make things so much smoother on the other side. Lots of great tips in this episode for comics. So you might want to have a pen handy to write down some of the tips he gives you. Uh, Lots of good insights. So thanks, Tim, for doing the interview with us. And that'll be here in just a second. If you're looking to kick up your comedy in the next year, I wanted to make sure you guys knew about the 20% offer. There's a coupon code you can use when you go to schooloflast.com. You can click on the online classes link in the header. And look over the online classes. We have the silver, gold, and diamond packages this course is very thorough. There's over 34 video lessons where I kind of walk you through from the very beginning, the structure of a joke, all the way through the techniques that comics use to make jokes really solid and dependable. Uh, there's a workbook there that's downloadable. It's over 115 pages. There's quizzes along the way to make sure that you have kind of picking up the information at the right pace. All kinds of great stuff in that course, and I've heard great, great feedback from everybody that's taken it. We have students in nine different countries right now, which is something I didn't expect when I first put it out, but I'm uh, really proud of it. It's a great course. If you're wondering if you can kick your comedy up a notch or where do I start, either way, this course is for you. So check it out. Coupon code COLDCASH20 at checkout, but definitely log on to the schooloflast.com website and check out. All about the online classes at the online classes link. Also, would like to read a quick iTunes review. Like I said, we're trying to get 100 reviews before the end of the year. We're about at 73. So if you've been waiting, now is the time. If we hit 100, I'm going to be so happy. And there's going to be a special bonus gift for everybody who's ever listened to the podcast. And you can make that happen by leaving us an iTunes review or a Stitch review at your convenience. This podcast review comes in from SmoothB23, and he said, If you've heard the podcast featuring the fresh approach, then you know these guys are on target. Rick, thanks for all that you do. My battle with cancer this year was made a little more sweet with your uplifting, informative, and quite entertaining podcast. And I believe that's from my buddy Sam Beeman down in Georgia. Sam, thanks for taking the time out of your busy day with all you have going on to leave us a nice iTunes review. I appreciate the five stars, and I'm praying for you, buddy. Hope you get better faster than you can even imagine. All right, enough of my rambling. We've got a great interview with Tim Grable. I'm going to step back and let you enjoy.
1: Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show.
0: Welcome back to the School of Last podcast. Rick Roberts here with you. And today, I'm sitting with Tim Grable, who is the man of the Grable Group. And he's a a booking agency, all-in-one He's been doing this for quite a while, and I've known him through some gigs that we've done back and forth over the years. And I'm going to pick his brain a little bit today to see how we can find better ways for comics and speakers out there that want to get booked to actually get booked. Uh, You know, Tim can only do so much on his end, just like any other agent, and he'll give us a few tips today on how we can kind of step up our game to make it more appealing for him to pursue us and also easier to pitch us to other clients. So how's it going today, Tim?
1: It's going wonderful.
0: Very good. Thank you for letting me come into your beautiful house out here in the middle of the country where it's nice and quiet.
1: Well, thanks for uh, finding me.
0: Yeah, it took a little bit, but (laughs) I turned the car around once or twice but found it. Uh, Take me back to when you started in the booking agency business. How long ago was it? And uh, maybe if you can even tell me your your school background, if if that prepared you for that step, or was it something that kind of just presented itself?
1: Sure. Um, I went to school at Taylor University, and they found the person who was least likely to enjoy anything in the Christian industry because their concert – area had just lost a ton of money, and they wanted somebody to come in and figure out how to get rid of it so they could spend the money on something else. Being a business person, I came in and started to look at numbers and figuring things out, and so we went from losing 20-some thousand dollars to making 30,000 in a year, Wow! and one of the things that uh, I did was I booked a couple of Petra concerts with uh, Wes Yoder over at Ambassador. And it was back when they were on their Beyond Belief tour, which was you know, their huge tour. And I was just creative enough to figure out that musicians can't book Wednesday and Thursday nights and college students love that. Right. So I cut a very creative deal with uh, Wes, um, so much so that it impressed him and uh, he said, you should come to Nashville uh, after college and look me up. So I came after graduating to Nashville and got my first job.
0: Right away. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty. And did you, how many bands were you booking at the college and stuff at that time? Like fill in those, those dates.
1: Um, I did it for a year or two. And the one thing that I ended up doing was putting together a series where you have your headliner. And then you find the middle person, and then you have somebody that's new and upcoming that you could get for very cheap. Do season tickets, package it together, force people to buy the season t- ticket because they want a great seat you know, for the headliner. Um, and uh, so that, that's how I did it.
0: Great. And back in those days, I mean, how long ago was that?
1: That was probably twenty
0: seven years ago, a couple decades and almost almost another. So, it was
1: it was back when we wanted to create a buzz, so we paid people to stay up all night to wait for tickets because the internet had not been invented.
0: Right, <laughs> that's funny. And on those season ticket passes back then, uh, what was the price for like a season ticket holder? Do you remember? I mean,
1: that was a while back. I, you know, honestly, I don't remember. Um, but what I remember was doing the spreadsheets and figuring out that, you know, Petra, if you went to see them in indie, was going to cost X. And, you know, you could put a good value together.
0: Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. And so when you got into Nashville and started working, were you still booking Christian artists and bands like that? Or what did Wes have you doing at that point?
1: Moved to Nashville to, to book Christian artists. Uh, realized after about six months that I do not like the music industry. Um, and no offense to musicians and artists, but they're a different breed of uh, people. Mm-hmm. And uh, about six months after I was in Nashville, I started working with speakers and realized that uh, speakers had something to say. They weren't just getting up there and playing some, some songs. Uh, writers were a lot easier for speakers. And so I moved into um, doing speakers. And uh, when I was an ambassador, primarily worked with speakers. Um, It was when I left to start my own company that I got into this whole uh, Christian comedy thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because back then, um, you know, Ken Davis was still a speaker. Right. He hadn't become a comedian yet.
0: Right. That's interesting. And so... When you made that transition, you started booking speakers. Were were there a couple that kept you really, really busy, or were were you kind of spreading it around? What what were the people looking for back in those days as far as speakers?
1: Oh, I predominantly worked with youth speakers and people that could communicate to kids to change their lives. And uh, that's, that's, uh, that's honestly where it all began.
0: And who are some of the names that you remember from back in those days Because 'cause I've always found that is it's probably the most pivotal speaking thing you can do is to to target the youth, especially teenagers mm-hmm. that you know, it's such a crucial time in their life. Yeah. Especially, you know, Christian kids where they either leave forever or they stick around. And so to find the people that can can speak into their hearts mm-hmm. and, and have a message, they're a rare breed. There's not as many as you wish there were.
1: No. And uh, you know, some of them that I worked with back then, Duffy Robbins, he's still around. Um, Dawson McAllister, mm-hmm. uh, Lori Salerno, and, and most of them have gone on to talk to college students because right. they grow up with their generation. Right,
0: right. Which is a smart thing to do. Yeah. Or else you, at some point you, you walk in a room, you're like, I don't even belong here anymore. <laughs> Absolutely. I know that from no longer doing colleges myself. I, the last few I did, I was like, man, I, was, I can't make up jokes about video games. I don't play to connect with these guys anymore. You know, they don't care about my high cholesterol. I don't care about whatever they're doing. So interesting. So so then you got in, you were booking speakers for a while, and how long were you there before you kind of branched off to do your own thing? Uh, Pretty good, eight, eight while, or nine right? years, yeah, eight or nine. And, and is that when you transitioned to the Nashville Speakers Bureau?
1: Yes. Okay.
0: And at that point, um, how many people did you have working for you? Because I I can imagine you couldn't do everything on your own at that point. At least from an administrative standpoint, I would find it hard to do.
1: Yeah, when when I had the Speakers Bureau, uh, really. The desire was to to build the next uh, William Morris or CAA um, to be one of the big agencies. And I think at the the height, we had 16 people working for us. Um, We did uh, film, television, literary, you know, the whole merchandise, the whole gamut.
0: Back then, the advantage of having those 16 people on staff?
1: Um, Yeah, honestly, that's why I made the transition to what I'm doing today. Um, one summer, my assistant went on vacation and then went on a missions trip and it it just kind of naturally happened that all of a sudden I started working from home. All of a sudden I realized that everything I could do in the office, I could do at home. Hmm. Um, and then I started to look around and realized that there's a core group of people that I had been working with, uh, some since I started, um, but most of them for, you know, 10 to 15 years. And those are the people that I was managing and doing all the day to day. And I decided that I wanted to watch my kids grow up. I I have no uh, desire to deal with uh, employee headaches and, you know, personality conflicts. And, you know, this artist, uh, you need them to push because they don't have any work. And that's why I decided I wanted to work from home and do just all. work with a handful of people.
0: And so now that you're doing your own thing and, you, you know, you're still booking speakers, you're mostly booking Christian artists though,
1: right? I would say probably only about 30% of what I do is with Christian okay. events. Uh, it's, it's fairly diversified between corporate, nonprofit, and uh, uh, faith-based because, uh, you know, I work with Christians. I work with Catholics. I work with Jewish organizations, um, the whole gamut.
0: Gotcha. And is that by design, you have kind of corporate and faith based or is it just kind of the way the work flows that you have the three different categories?
1: You know, being being small and focusing on a handful of clients, what you do is you develop their careers. And just like you said, you no longer uh, aspire to be the next best college comedian. You've moved in different aspects, and so I have one client that started off in the churches and went to corporations. Uh, we've done casinos, performing arts centers, uh, and now what he's doing a whole lot of is nonprofit events. Mm-hmm. And so by being diverse, you can go where the client's going, not where you go. One one of my clients does a lot of cruise ships. I don't want to be a cruise agent,
0: right? What can speakers and comics do better to help you, the agent?
1: Probably the number one frustration is uh, speed of getting answers. It's amazing how long it takes people to tell you, yes, I'm open. No, I'm not open. Uh, I I manage uh, about a dozen people where I do everything for them. But that also translates into being able to toss dates to other people. And there are people that have set me up a Google Calendar where I can go in and look at it, and they make it easy for me to book them. There's people that make it very difficult for me to book them. And, you know, if I have somebody that is looking for a juggler, um, I'm probably going to recommend the juggler that I have their Google Calendar versus the juggler who you email to see if they're available and three days later they get back to you.
0: Right. They're probably juggling a lot of things and don't have time to exactly. <laughs> a lot of comics either put their schedule online or they don't. But am I selling myself short by not having my schedule up on my my website, you think, as far as people maybe looking at my website and thinking, does this guy work at all? I don't see a schedule on here.
1: Um You know, there was a period of time that I would tell people that they needed to put their dates online. Um I don't think it's important to have an online calendar that you have open for the public. Mm -hmm. And here's why, um, number one, things change all the time. And there's no better way to uh, not get work than to advertise that you're booked on the date and, gosh, the contract's not back. Or um, I deal with this with a lot of churches. Churches have service every week. Most churches are happy to move their date if you have a conflicting date come in. Uh, I, I learned that with, uh, with a client four or five years ago. We got a, a nice corporate offer, and he said, ah, I can't do it. Turn it down. I, I've said, you know, I'm, I, I'm going to be at this church. So let me just call them. And I called them. I said, you know, hey, we're, we're kind of between a rock and a hard spot. We have a corporate date. They'll pay three times the money. And the pastor said, you know what? do you think you could maybe kick $500 back to our general fund and uh, we'd be happy to move the date? He said, that's a win-win for everybody. And it was a no brainer. Right. And had we published that date, we never would have got that opportunity and we would never have been able to bless that church by giving back.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of where I lie with the whole thing. I always feel if they look at my schedule, they see I'm not available. I don't even know that they were looking at me, Mm -hmm. but if I have no calendar, they'll call to find out. And then I can nurture that lead maybe for next year or recommend somebody else now that I've got the the decision maker on the phone. Mm -hmm. But if I have that schedule up, I may never even get a phone call at all.
1: The other thing that's a huge deterrent, and the savvy people will see right through this, uh, there's a lot of people that publish a lot of open dates. Right. I don't want to book somebody that's not working. Right. So... And, and there's some great comics out there. I can think of a couple that, you know, they say, oh, it's online. I go online. I'm like, dude, I have <laughs> one date in the next three months. Right. You must really be hurting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you kind of got to know what you're doing out there with those with those things. But as far as one of your clients that you represent, that Google Calendar, internal calendar kind of thing mm-hmm. takes care of everything. Yes. Very good. What other things are comics? Let's go to the positive side for a second. What are some of the people that you represent do that make it really easy for you to, to book them and to promote them?
1: Deliver a great show that people want to book again. I mean, that that sounds very simplistic, um, but one of the questions I ask people that, that would like me to consider representing them is I always ask them, where are you working? And, you know, they'll, I, I had somebody two weeks ago, they called in and they said, oh, man, things are going great. We're getting a great response to our shows, you know, all that stuff. I said, great. Tell me three things that you booked as a result of it. Well, you don't understand. The people we're in front of can't book us for a show. We're doing, we're doing retirement communities. Those people don't book us. I said, really? None of them have grandkids that uh, bring in people? Right. I seem to hear from my uh, my dad, who's in a assisted living, all the time people I should contact because he just saw them and, and he thought they were incredible.
0: Right. So work begets work kind of a work deal. Work equals work. Yeah. I look at that, too. Um, I look at my audience and think, you know, you know especially let's this, this just say it was a senior citizen age group. You know, they may be retired, but they're on boards. They go to churches. You know, they're advisors to groups. They're in fundraising committees. All those can use a, a comedian or a speaker Yes, at some point.
1: I'll I tell you a tip. Uh, this actually is from Ken Davis, so you got to give credit where credit's due. He told me uh, years ago that when you have the microphone, you have the power to persuade. And I, I told him, I remember at the time, saying, ah, Ken, that's not true. He said, I'll prove it to you. It's said, okay. Uh, the next week he was doing an event for Bill Gaither, At reunion arena and right in the middle of the show he just looked at bill and said bill i gotta confess i love being here entertaining for you but i'd rather be raising hundreds of thousands of dollars for christian schools the next week we started getting calls hey we heard that ken davis raises lots of money for schools power of persuasion right it was just that little nugget that triggered people to go back apparent to the headmaster saying, you know, man, last year it was kind of boring. You should bring this guy in.
0: Right. So just kind of planting that seed. Yes. And they're walking out and going, hey, I don't have to chase anybody. This guy was right up on stage. I saw him do a great show. He said this is where he wants to be. Mm-hmm. Just got to make the phone call. Exactly. Yeah. That's interesting. So yeah, using your time on stage. What about, uh, is there any other tips or techniques from the stage that comics can do? When it comes to, you know, I'm a big believer of hanging out after the show, talking to people as the exit. I've got a merch table and I have somebody else kind of handle that. I'd rather talk to the people, you know, than try to sell them something. But are there other things that comics can do before they leave the venue and to try to make the most out of that night?
1: Relationship. Uh, Again, this is uh, nothing new. Uh, It's, you know, taken uh, David Smallbone, uh, Rebecca St. James's father. One of the very things that I think launched her to where she is or where she became was David would take very good notes. And they went back to Australia a couple times a year. And on the plane ride over to Australia, Rebecca would sit with postcards, handwritten, you know, hey, Rick, I'm just headed to Australia. I remember when we did, you know, whatever. Connection then drop it in the mail from Australia. From booking her, people were tickled pink to get that. Uh, Taylor Mason, years ago, did the uh, NACA college scene. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he would always do is he would write a very flattering letter back to the director of student activities. Hey, Rick, your students were incredible. I perform for people across the country, but their laughter... He would write his own resume. Years later, phone call comes in. Yeah, we're just cleaning out the files, and, and man, Taylor Mason did a great job when he was here before. We need to bring him back.
0: Right. No, so I, yeah.
1: It, it's those little connections.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of—I know from the comic side, a lot of comics don't follow through with a lot of these things. Speakers are better at it, I think, because it, they look—it's funny. The comics look at it as a survival career mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, and speakers look at it as a long-term— Profession. And it's all about trying to get that minds, mindset shift for the comedians out there, especially if they're pursuing corporate work or, or any of the niche markets, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Another thing that you can do that doesn't cost anything is uh, set up a, a stream in Hootsuite to follow them. Mm. Have you know, your past contacts, whatever. You can do it for LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever. Um, compliments go a long way, and they're easy to do it's easy to just scan there and see you know, something weeks later and retweet it with a, hey, great job. That's incredible. You know, whatever, again, it's that personal connection.
0: Right, let me talk to you a little bit about um, some social media strategies.
1: Okay, you have to have some, you have to be talking about something of value. Uh, Michael Hyatt uh, says it best. Twitter is nothing but a dinner conversation. And, you know, if you're the person that comes in and you're talking about yourself all the time and you never shut up, you never let other people talk. Yeah, I unfriend those people really quick. I block them really quick because they're obnoxious.
0: What's your strategy on who you follow? How is it just automatic? If somebody follows you, you follow them back? Because I know there's all kinds of, you know, ways you can go with that.
1: Yeah, um, I, I've heard many people give lots of opinions on it. Um, I go back to scarcity is prestige. Um, people don't want the thing that everybody else has. You know, why Why are—no, I'm not going to go there— um, <laughs> You know, why, why did alcohol become huge when the prohibition? Probably
0: because you couldn't have it.
1: Exactly. Right. And the same thing, if, if you saw, you know, Justin Bieber follow 46 million people and 46 million people followed him, it wouldn't be a big deal. But when he only follows 1,500 people,
0: it's a huge deal. Then you're kind of curious who those 1,500 are.
1: Exactly. Right. Right. Um, the other thing is it does you no good on your clout score and your, your uh, social rankings to follow a bunch of fake accounts and mm-hmm. people that you really don't care about. Right. So you know, I'm of the opinion I follow back if they look interesting, if I think there can be some conversation. Uh, I think right now I have 28,000 people following me and I follow 9,000. There's two types of lists that you can create in Twitter. One is a public list, and the other is a private list. Okay. Um, Most people don't know the difference between the two, and so um, there are a lot of uh, agencies that uh, will have a list of all their clients. Well, it's easy to go in and see who all their clients are, see who they're following. Then there's private lists where only you see. And there are people that... I have on my list that I follow, that I don't follow on Twitter, gotcha. and they don't follow me, because it, it doesn't doesn't make any difference. Um, they have a dedicated stream. I, I have one stream of twenty people with a high clout score that are good to interact with, and they're people that will respond back to me. You know, we go back and forth. I have uh, a list of all my clients. I have a list of potential clients, people that, uh, that I have my eye on, you know, there's, there's people that I'll watch for two, three years, just observing what they do. So you can have different lists like that.
0: Gotcha. Something I haven't set up yet, which I may sounds like I might need to get on that a little bit. Uh, It can
1: be very valuable.
0: Yeah. Other social media outlets that you use LinkedIn, I'm sure is in the mix a little bit.
1: LinkedIn is a, a very, uh, valuable, one because you get directly to the decision makers so many so many uh comedians and speakers get caught in the facebook trap mm-hmm. and facebook has has really lack of a better word, screwed everybody because uh after they went public they made a pay for play and they stuff and suppress so much stuff right and the problem that i see with a lot of people is number one they haven't developed their home base, their website. They put all their eggs in Facebook or Twitter, where all those should point back to your website. So I would say that the number one mistake I see people is putting all their eggs in one basket.
0: Right. I agree with that. And I'm also a big fan of developing the email list.
1: I have um, about 25,000 people on my email list. They are divided into people of faith and people of not faith. And, you know, not to, that's, that sounds like a very harsh way to.
0: Now I'm curious besides bigger right now.
1: (laughs) Well, um, the corporate list is much bigger Mm -hmm. and that's because those are the people that they don't want any faith. And so when I put you in the newsletter, I might put you in, you know, five funny male comedians. And then I might put it in the Christian one of five funny male Christian comedians.
0: Gotcha. It's a little bit targeted. Yeah. Uh Very good. What are, um, speaking of the home base being the the website for the performer, the speaker, what are, to you, some must-haves and maybe some don'ts as far as putting that website together? Because I I know it's very intimidating now. I I speak to a lot of people that are trying to get their first website Mm up. And they're not sure if they should go with a free one that they could do or pay a little bit to somebody else. Where's the happy medium, do you think?
1: Uh, Years ago, I heard somebody say uh, free means that you are the you are the uh, product. And, you know, one of the reasons that so many comedians went to Facebook, it was free. And the problem is, is when you're not paying, you don't have any vested stake in it and the rules can change. Mm -hmm. And then you go and you cry because you know, all of a sudden you just can't understand why Facebook is doing this to people. You know, you, you built up thirty thousand likes and all well they're a company, they want to make money. I, I for the life of me, I don't understand why people who charge for what they do go with a WX or GoDaddy free website when for five bucks a month they could have their own the problem I see with most people is they don't do it. They,
0: they just don't have it. any.
1: Well, they, they get into the trap of, I got to figure it out. I got to do it right. You know, I want to build this great thing. Um, I, I've had clients that didn't want to go live with their website because they're still working on a page. It's always changing, right? It's always changing. It, one of the things that I'm in the process of doing Is I'm going back and uh, I think my website has 1,500 pages on it. And uh, this weekend, I deleted over 300 pages.
0: That's a lot of pages.
1: Yes, because the rules have changed with Google. You know, five years ago, they were saying that you wanted between 100 and 300 words on a page. Well, now it's 800 to 1,200. And those posts that you did, you know, five years ago with 300 words on it are low quality. And they're penalizing you for the low quality content because what Google has figured out is it's about user experience. They want the user to have a good experience. And so uh, that's just part of it. Your website's never done. Right. You're, you're not going to build the one website. Um, you know, if you... If you make a hundred thousand dollars doing this, you should be spending about ten thousand dollars a year on marketing. Right. And of that, you should probably spend between seven and eight thousand on a website.
0: Yeah, I think it's fair.
1: But you you say that to a comedian, and they'll they'll gulp and go, "Oh my gosh, okay." But then that's it. Yeah. I don't have to do that for a couple of years. <laughs> right. Right. No,
0: Right. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, that's my biggest pet peeve always is, is comics not investing in themselves to, to make it a long-lasting career and to all the changes that go with it. What do you think is um, you know, you're talking about the Google search rankings and those things. What is something a comic can do, even if they just have a, a much smaller website than an agency mm-hmm. like you, um, you know, 10 pages, different things. What can they do that will help them stay relevant and, and so their website doesn't look stagnant to a Google search engine, but also not to a client? Like what are some easy things they can do to kind of make sure they still register in those search rankings?
1: Simple thing is to have a blog. There's a uh, artist that I came across a couple of months ago and her blog is stinking simple. She's an artist. So, you know, it's easy for an artist to do, but she has figured out of posting a photo and, you know, some words, Made it really simple to do a blog post. A lot of people will sit back and go, "Oh man, I can't. I can't blog. I can't sit down and, you know, do a thousand pages." Well, you don't have to. Right. You, you don't. You can add to it. You, it can evolve. Um, the other thing is, there's an old school mentality that you don't want to burn your material.
0: Which it, I think is definitely old school
1: now, right? And I, I don't understand that. I, you know, I, I've told clients for years that I got over that when I paid a couple hundred bucks per ticket to go see Taylor Swift. And my daughter had watched every concert on the tour before she went to the concert right. and was still excited to go.
0: Right. Yeah. So I, I'm with you on that. Posting videos frequently. I mean, A, just makes you more searchable. Mm-hmm. You know, plus you, anything you post on your website, you can post to your YouTube channel and those things too. I think if you go, to, well, it's just obvious. If you're a client, and you go somewhere and, and you're looking at two different performers and somebody's updated in the past year four new videos, the other person, nothing in the last two years, you're going to go with the, the one that's frequent and the mm-hmm. one that's fresh, right? Absolutely. And those things obviously help your search rankings as well what are some um other tips anything you'd like to kind of clue us in that we're not thinking of on our side since we're on one side of the microphone and you're on the other side
1: well the you you touched on it briefly work equals work and it's what's more important than that is an empty calendar equals an empty calendar you got to be out there performing being in front of people marketing is huge we we touched on that you've got to market yourself um in today's uh, uh, age with uh, video editing software there's absolutely no reason there's no reason there's no reason that a comedian shouldn't have a uh, EPk mm-hmm.
0: electronic press kit yes if you guys don't know
1: and you know make it easy for the decision maker I, I've seen I've seen time after time they'll select probably the worst comedian because they watched. You know, their clip reel. And they sat down, and their response is, Well, some of it wasn't funny, but some of it I really enjoyed. Then there's another comedian that's a much better comedian, and they come back, and you say, Well, why didn't you book them? Well, gee, all he talks about is his wife. And you're sitting there going, Well, that's 10% of their act. Right well, that's the clip they watched and it's not what they were looking for. Gotcha. So
0: definitely a variety of clips so they don't get stuck on the one. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed any trends as far as are clients calling you in a hurry or are they calling you with a lot of advance notice or is it just kind of nurturing the relationship to make sure they give themselves that kind of time?
1: It's honestly all across the board. And you know, part of the reason for the shorter notice is I think that they realize that there's more options. And so it's not uncommon to get a call that says, hey, I have X number of dollars and I like this person, but here are the four other people that I could go with. And it becomes a free-for-all. Hmm.
0: Gotcha. Sounds good. Any other things you'd like to throw in today is really good information.
1: Ah, I'm trying to think what else. Um, consistency. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've told clients uh, five tweets a day. They don't even have to be good. You can post one, two, three, four, five, but you just have to get into the habit of doing things regularly. Uh, You know, same thing. I do an email newsletter once a week. Start somewhere, right? Do it every other month, do it every quarter, do something where you get into a routine and within time it will grow and it will grow and it will grow. But a lot of times people look at the task as being, you know, it's way too big that I could ever accomplish. Well, you know, post once on Facebook, once on Twitter and update your website. Just do it regularly.
0: Um, as you go forward and, you know, like you say, things are changing, not only for speakers, but what are some things you're looking at that are going to be new for you in 2016 or some, maybe some things you'll do less of because you see, you know, the needle moving in a different direction?
1: this last year, we did less direct mail. Actually, direct mail uh, is gone. I I was probably one of the very few people that was holding out doing direct mail because it was, you got a good response. It just, it's not profitable. And running a business, that's one of the questions you have to ask yourself is, um, you can spend your entire salary doing things because you get one booking. But is that a smart use of money? Right. Um, what am I going to do more next year?
0: Oh, that's a great question. It's a good time I, to start thinking about the goals, isn't it?
1: I have absolutely <laughs> no idea what the new experience is going to be next year, which, which is one of the things that's fun about this, this business and this industry is it's always different. Mm-hmm. It's always different.
0: Let me ask you this, too, just while I have you here. Yeah. Um, of the, the variety of people that you book, I, I see a lot of posts about this, the sand artist.
1: Yeah, Joe Castillo.
0: Tell me about this guy, because he doesn't fall really in a, a comic thing. He doesn't fall in really a speaker thing. He's a performance thing. But tell me just a little bit about him and, and what you like about booking him.
1: Yeah. And, and actually, one of the myths uh, that, that people have about me is that I work with just comedians. Uh, yeah, I, I work with Catholic speaker. I work with a live painter, and uh, I work with a sand artist, and he tells stories in sand. And he created a method of telling stories to people. Uh, we've done 40 countries now Oh wow.'ve uh, been seen on all seven continents. Uh, we've done things with NBC, CBS, BBC, ESPN, across the board.
0: Wow, and how did you stumble onto him originally?
1: That's an interesting. That's an interesting story. I was at uh, the Christian the Christian Booksellers Association, and was walking the floor, and he was in the last row of the convention center, and he was painting, and I, it just caught my eye, and I went up to him and, and said, oh, "That's kind of interesting," and he said, "Oh." you've got to watch this DVD. I've created this thing called sand story. I said, okay, I'll I'll watch it. He said, nobody else in the world's doing it. I said, okay, that's fine. I took the the video back and threw it on the floor. About a year later, I tripped on it and I called him and was talking to him and he said, yeah, um, this guy named tick long, wants to put me on this thing called youth specialties. Do you think I should do it? They don't pay anything. And, you know, immediately I put two and two together and said, your next two years are booked. Right. And so, you know, the moral of that story is there's a lot of things that you do that you don't think is productive. You know, things that comedians do, yeah, it does pay off looking back at what uh, he's been able to do, uh, we were in Philadelphia back in September for Pope Francis. Uh, He was part of the Colombian election with the current president. Uh, He's performed for the King of Saudi Arabia. We just did something with uh, Hillary Clinton. Um, We've worked with uh, President Bush, President Carter, President Clinton. So a lot of fun
0: things. I guess a good question for for him would be, how does he decide what to turn down? It sounds like his calendar is pretty pretty jam-packed.
1: It's, you know, it's like everything else. You just put the puzzle together.
0: Yeah. That sounds good. Well, thanks for sitting in with us today. Is there any place we can send people to find out more about you, follow you on Twitter, any of those
1: things? Sure. I I feel like Howie Mandel. Follow (laughs) me at Tim Grable on Twitter.
0: That sounds good. Well, you guys check out Tim. Tim, Thanks for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me pop into your wonderful house. I hope your neighbors uh, stay quiet. All right. Thank you. You bet.
1: Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit SchoolofLaughs.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money.